You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So you who came, irregardless of the, of the uh, snow or the chance of snow, or the clouds or the rain, will get to reap a reward, I pray, today of the reading of the word and the study of the scripture. So um, the good old uh, the weatherman, man, that guy, will, he'll set you right every time here up on the old plateau. You never know. And uh, sorry for my casual dress there. I, um, I was thinking I was going to be neck deep, and then it turned out to be just neck deep in mud, so... It has, it is a mess. I know Zach can identify right now is feeding cattle this time of year is a mess. If it would freeze, that would be nice. But when it freezes and thaws like this, the ground just gets rotten and, and it's up, up to the axles right now. So I was hoping for a little, I fed yesterday and hoping they'll make it through till this snow ends. It's a mess right now. But anyway, we got to thank God for the rain. Rain always, almost always, except for the flood in the Bible, is always, a, is, oh, I said, except for the flood is affiliated with a blessing. The fact that we, we don't eat without rain, right? We gotta have the moisture coming down to make the crops come up. We need the crops to make the cattle, to make the sheep, to make everything. So we, we, the rain gets old sometimes, but man, do we need it. So thank you, Lord, for your blessing in that. I wanna read, um, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians. We're gonna be primarily there all morning. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter one. And one of my friends, uh, a couple years ago, we were, I told him, he said, what are you guys going to study this week? I said, 1 Corinthians. He goes, why? You got a lot of sin in the church? I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> it's people. It's people. They're covered with sin. That's what we are. But no, we don't necessarily have a lot of sin in the church. It's just there's so much to, to gain from any of the books of the Bible. And, in, and people tend to bring those up, you know, like you're going to have a membership class, so you, you break out 1 Corinthians, you know, or you're going you're gonna to have a marriage, so you break out 1 Corinthians there around chapter 13. And or, or whatever, whatever you're going you're gonna to teach on the spiritual gifts, you go to 1 Corinthians, right? But every, every book of the Bible has a purpose. We're going to kind of look in that this morning. There's a lot of warnings and, and exhortations, encouragements that also come out of the book of 1 Corinthians, and, uh, and we need all those. So I ask you to listen this morning with spiritual ears and, and uh, try, to, try to grasp what we're talking about. Uh, last week, we looked at, as Jed said, we looked at division in the church. Where does division come from? You're going to, here's where division comes from. It comes from the old sin nature. It comes from the selfishness of man. It comes from the natural part of man that I like to hear this guy. I like to hear this girl sing. I like to hear this girl sing. I like to hear this man sing. I like to hear this man preach. I like to hear this man preach. And what we do is we end up with this, this, you know, for lack of a better way to say, a cult of personality of the person rather than the word that's spoken and the, and the honoring, the glorification of Christ. The head of the church is Christ. You have, uh, you have me as the pastor of the church, but the head of the church is Christ. The only thing I do is I have to speak, I have to read the word, to study the word, what the Spirit tells me, this is what we're working on. Then I speak that word. But the thing that the purpose of the speaking of the word is to glorify Christ, is to elevate him and not ourselves. It's not about a person. When churches become about a person, they can get very big. A good example is uh, Joel Osteen's church in Houston is huge. It's, I don't know, 20,000 people every Sunday. It's thousands and thousands of people. But if Joel Osteen leaves, that thing goes to zero because the whole thing is based on Joel Osteen and his personality and his 
ability to speak and all these things, whether, whether you agree with what he's speaking or not. I'm not a big fan because the guy's a lot of kind of self-help, your best life now kind of stuff. But the, but the reality is it's built around a person and not about Christ. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. So we want to make sure that the, that the teaching that's done is building on the firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ. If we put our hopes in men like we've talked about, the man's going to fail us one way or another. He's going to do something we don't agree with. He's going to, he just, it's just how we are. We have different personalities, different tastes, different flavors, different things we like, things we don't like. And uh, if we count on men, they're going to fail us. A guy that I, I have a lot of respect for, he talked about, he was telling me recently how he, he, um, he was really struggling with this one thing in his life. He said he didn't like to shake hands with, with, with people, um, that God was really working on this with him, right? I really respect this guy. I respect a lot of what he has to say. I respect his teaching. I respect the way he thinks. He said, I really, he grew up in the South. He said, I have trouble shaking hands with black people. I can't. I, God's really having to teach me to, to love them. I was, I was shocked. I'm like, you're a Christian man. This is a Christian man. You're one blood. You're one race, the human race. I was really surprised. We all got our flaws. If you put your hope in a man, he's going to let you down. When you find out, when you know and what's produced, what really is in the heart of a man, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. That's the best that man is, is deceitful and desperately. So he's sneaky, a liar, and he's wicked. If you could take any person's brain here and we could download it and project it on the screen that person would be just completely ashamed of the things that he's thought or saw or dwelled on or whatever men are deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it god knows it we can disguise it really well with one another but when it's when it's exposed we have a lot of disregard for that person so you have a lot of deceitful desperately wicked people in this room hopefully saved by grace so we learn to work with the people that we have. This is the team. I've told you before. This is the team. This is the team we got. We could have, it'd be nice to have a 6'11 guy here to, to play the post. We don't got that guy, right? We got, how tall are you? We got a 6'7 guy, maybe. That's our best, that's our best defensive player right there, Vinny. We, we, this is the team we got. We got a bunch of point guards in here. That's what we got. You know, this is the team we got. We got to be successful in the work that God calls us to do with this team. These are the cooks that we have. These are the mechanics that we have. These are the, the carpenters that we have. These are the evangelists that we have. These are the administrators. These are the servants. These are the hospitality. These are the spiritual gifts of the people. The, this is the team. We've got to do the purpose of God as he's called us to do with this team. This is the team. So we've got to be careful that we don't beat up our teammates, that we keep our focus on Christ, that we don't over-evaluate the shortcomings of our teammates and keep our eyes on Christ. When we keep our eyes on Christ, and the only thing we're doing is working, worrying about presenting ourselves a sanctified, a holy sacrifice before Christ individually, each person. Your focus gets between you and him. He's the one measuring you, and you stop measuring the guy beside you on the team, recognizing you're on the same team. So right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians there, um, we see how, how this book is written. It's written to a very specific people, and if you're a uh, guy told me one time, he says, you've got to be careful when you're reading the New Testament or any book of the Bible because certain ones are certain letters to certain people, like Hebrews, for example. You're reading somebody else's mail. No, sir. It's written to the people of God. If you're a person of God, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, it's written to you, and it applies to you, and it has application for you. 
And it has sanctification properties and justification properties for you. It has building ability um, in action and all those things for you. It's for you if you are of the people of Christ. This book says, uh, Paul called to be an apostle, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. It's to a special people. It's called to the saints. To those, I'm sorry, it's to those who are sanctified. It says those that are called to be saints, to all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So here's the question Jed asked you last week. Are you called by Christ? Are you of Christ? If you're of Christ, this book's wrote to you. It, yes, it was written primarily to the, Corinth, the Corinthian church there, the church at Corinth. But it's written to you as well because you're one of the all, you're one of the saints, you're one of the sanctified, and you're one of those who are in every place that calls on the name of Christ. It's, it's to you. This book is to you. The book was written to you. Um, it, whenever you see a book that was included in the, in the, in the Bible or wasn't, um, the scholars back in the days are putting it together. They're looking at it like, how does this, how does this relate? Do we need this in here? Or do we not? Do we, we ditch this book? Whatever. This book is, is very easily identified as one that applies to us and for us, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, called to be saints, with all who in every place call the name of Jesus Christ. Psalm 25 that she read this morning, verse 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So there's a secret in this book written to you. Multiple secrets, multiple clues, multiple messages for God's people. It's in this book. It's, it's completely accessible to you. And it's a, it's a special book written to special people, believers in Christ. Those who desire to be with Christ now, to be within the body now, to be filled with the Spirit now, and in eternity with the Father, it's written to those people. And it explains a lot to us how when we speak to people outside of the body of Christ, unbelieving people, why they don't get it. Why it doesn't make a lot of sense. For one thing, they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, so they don't have the revelation of that. But it's written... In, it's like the secret decoder ring thing, right? It's written in a secret code. You've got to have the decoder ring. You've got to have Christ. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to read what it says. That's, well, for you young people, you used to get those in the uh, jack-in-the-box box. They would have a little decoder ring, and then you had to turn it certain things. It also came in Fruit Loops, which I only got like two times as a kid. But they would have a prize in there. And then you got the decoder ring and this piece of paper. And if you had to turn the thing, you know, X meant Z and whatever you had to. Anyway, it decoded the message. That's what we got. We got the decoder ring. We got the whole book. Can you go in the office and, and there's a, a bag on the top thing. has got some drills in it. Just bring it out. We'll, we'll use those in a minute. Trust me, we're going to disassemble something here. So we, we got this secret message right here in this book. And we have the ability to understand it. People that do not have the Holy Spirit, that do not have Christ, are going to struggle with this book. Can unbelieving people read the Bible and get something out of it? Yes. Can a person that's not a science scientist read Scientific American and get something out of it? Yes. Is he going to have full understanding of it? No. Is a person that's an unsaved person gain full understanding from the Bible? No. 
It's just a book written by old guys a long time ago about a bunch of old stuff, and some of it's true and some of it's not true. That's their perception. It's not true, but that's their perception. It's not written to them. It's written to you, God's people. So they'll either reject it or they'll find it very offensive. A lot of people find the Bible very offensive, but if you read the whole Bible, you'll see that it's a very caring book. It cares for the lives of people. God, design, God desires for people to live. He wants them to live, and he gives you the instructions on how to be alive. Thank you, honey. You just said it right there. It's good. Thank you. He gives you this, this uh, book that tells you how to make it from death to life. All the rules are in here, all the secret recipes, all the stuff you need. It's all in this book. So it's written to specific people. It has specific instructions and specific invitations. But you've got to be of God's people to grasp its full significance. And even in that, it's an ongoing that's sanctification. It's not a completed thing until death. It's an ongoing growing in the spirit. So as time goes by, the more you read it, the more you understand, the more you grasp. I'm always uh, one pastor that when I was a kid, I heard him say this one time. He said, I've read the whole Bible so many times that I completely understand all of it. If I could only just live long enough to explain it to you. And it wasn't long after that that the guy went senile. Truly. I mean, I think there was a lot of pride in that statement. I don't believe it's, it's perfectly understandable by any man in one lifetime. It's, there's a lot going on in this book. But for every one of us, it's a secret love letter to each one of us that we can understand if we're willing to put the time in to discover it. And you're one of these people, one of those who was sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be a saint uh, with, in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ. So number one is all. Number two is in every place. And number three is sanctified. If that's you, you as a believer in Christ at some stage on this path of sanctification, it, this book is written to you. This book and all the rest in this book. It's written to you. It's written to you for your understanding. All scriptures God breathed profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God will be mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's all those things are in this book that as you go down this path of, of sanctification, you become more mature, more mature as you go further along. So what's got to happen for you to fully grasp all the secret message? The first is you've got to figure out who you are. And I'm going to skip down here. Uh, well, let's read. Uh, uh, so I read you 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and read uh, on down here to verse 9. Then we're going to flip over to about verse 20. So I'm going to start over. Let's reread this. And we're going to see what it's going to take for us to get a grasp of the secret message. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's flip over here to uh, verse, I believe, 18. 
so Paul's, this is that part we just passed was the part about the division, different, who baptized who and whatever. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things that which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So the first thing you've got to grasp is what it says right now, who you are. Why did God choose you to understand his special message? I'm going to read this part to you again so that you can know why he chose you. It says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, the base things of the world, uh, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What did the scripture right there, what does it just now say about us as believers? I don't know if you caught what was going on there. So I, so I would assume, I'm, I'm assuming, which is wrong to do, but I assume just because I know most of you um, and have been in your homes and have talked to you personally, and a majority of you are believers. You would testify that you're a believer in Christ. Is that not correct? Majority in here, right? Did you choose him or did he choose you? It depends how much Presbyterian you got going on in you, but he chose you, right? He chose you. Ephesians 1, 4 says he chose us from before the foundation of the earth. He chose you. So he chose you. So that's step one is understanding who you are. He chose you. He knew the very worst things that you were ever going to do, the worst things you were going to say, worst things you were going to think, the worst actions you were ever going to act, and he chose you anyway. And he will keep you until that day. And then that, that other scripture says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Nothing that we did, did he choose us for. It wasn't because you were super handsome or super athletic or whatever. So go look at this list again. Who did he choose? He didn't choose the wise, according to the flesh, it says in verse 26, nor the mighty, not many noble are called. He chose the foolish things of the world. He chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world. So God has a plan 
for a bunch of weak, ignoble dummies to save them and to use them for his good purpose. He didn't choose the handsome. He didn't choose the wealthy. He didn't choose those, the noble would be those that had, uh, like the queen, the king. He didn't choose kings and queens to develop the scriptures and to take it to all nations. He took the fishermen and the woman at the well, the tax collector. He took the, Samarit- or the, the, the woman caught in adultery. He took the average schmoes and worse. He took the, the low rents. The word base is like the scumbags. He took the, the bad. He took those. So just so you know, he didn't pick you off the top of the heap. He picked you off the bottom. And for that, you should be incredibly grateful. Whatever the cream of the crop is, he picked the opposite, whatever that, whatever that is. So it's Christ in us. So he chose us. We accept Christ, however that works. That's, a, that's one of those supernatural puzzles that men work on. He chose us, and then he, he gave us permission to feel like we chose him. And we accept Christ. He begins to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He works in that. He works through us. And he gives us the opportunity to access the presence of the Most High God because of him choosing us. So when you become a believer in Christ, what happens is you gain status with God while simultaneously, in general, losing status with men. I mean, take any famous person you consider famous. Uh, Tim Tebow is such a great example. Um, And maybe he's not a good football player. I don't know. He wins games, but they don't like him. Why don't they like him? Because he chooses status with God over status with men. That's why they don't like him. There's people that have been very popular actors and actresses, and once they choose Christ, when they really get sold out, Kirk Cameron's a good example. He was from a TV show back when I was a kid. But, but now, man, he is completely ignored, by mocked and scoffed by Hollywood. And so Why? Because he is sold out. His spirit, his heart, he's completely sold out to Christ. He lost status with men, but he gained status with God, and that's the only status that matters. That's one of the things I think that causes discord among the brethren in the fellowship is that we're, we, we take some of that thing from that's outside of the walls of the church and we bring it in. Like, I'm, I'm really popular in town. People know me. And I'm really fancy. I got a really nice car. I got a nice house. I'm talking about somebody else, obviously. No, I do got a nice car. You can go see my car. I'll show it to you. It's a nice car. It does everything I want it to do. I can pull a trailer with it. I can get hay with it get mud on it four-wheel drive it's a great car it's a nice car but that's not why people like me or dislike me but what i do is i if i'm not careful i take what i am out there what i perceive myself to be and i bring it in here and i try to to try to cherry pick the people that would make me look the best in here i mean there's some people i don't really want that close to me in here some of you smell bad you could use a breath mint But some of those people, those same people, I would deal with out there because they look up to me. But in here, I'd rather them not really be, you know, rubbing on me. It's it's a dangerous thing. It's what causes division in the church. Because people think because of how much money they have or what kind of status they have, what kind of job they have, or how needed they are, they perceive themselves as needed in the world. Then they bring it in here, and what they don't realize is, what, they, what they're broken in is, is that before God we're base and we're ignoble and we're foolish and we're weak. And he chose us anyway. 
but we're on the same playing field. We're all made of dirt, and he chose from all these dirty people, he chose you. And he chose to build a church with you in it and use you for the furtherance of his kingdom. And that's a big deal. If you gain Christ, it says you actually gain his wisdom, his righteousness, his sanctification, and his redemption. First uh, Corinthians 1, let me read this to you. It says about, so Paul, again, starting over, Paul, an apostle, to the church. And look how he describes the people, this bunch of foolish, average, base, weak, poor, whatevers. Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, God's grace given by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you came short in no gift, no spiritual gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also conform you to the, confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful in whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you can reckon yourself, if you can look at your... I don't like to perceive myself as the big dummy or as the lowly, base, weak, whatever. But if you can reckon yourself that way, the humility that comes with that will give you such freedom in dealing with anyone because you have access to the throne room of the Most High God. You truly were chosen having nothing to offer Jesus or the Father. One of the old songs, we're going to sing it at the end of the service, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I thy fountain fly, foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. People used to sing that a lot. People don't sing that now. You know why I don't sing it? Because it's very offensive. Because I'm a pretty sharp guy. I'm pretty clean. I'm pretty, I'm pretty nice. I look good. Well... I know I'm not. I've been told many times that I'm a very humble, homely person. I understand that. Very average looking, very uh, whatever, offensive in smell, in attitude, whatever. But it's, <laughs> but not, but a lot of people don't perceive themselves it that way. Luckily, I've had plenty of people tell me that, so it's kept me beat down. So I'm humble enough in that. But, but, uh, but what it says is we need to. People used to sing things like this, and it, what it did it was it, it baselined them. It got them down where they need to be so that they can look up. If people are telling you, you know, uh, how great you are, how smart you are, how brilliant you are, how strong you are, how capable you are, your head begins to grow, and you begin to think it's you. We've talked about this a hundred times, but we've got to be so careful in being positioned humbly before God rather than with arrogance as we come before him. We, if we come to him with arrogance... We have no need for him. If we come to him with humility, recognizing that he wrote a secret book just to us, the weak and the foolish and the ignoble and the, and the helpless, that without him we're nothing, that he provides everything. The only thing we brought to the cross was our sin. We, we didn't bring any positive attribute. And any attribute that we have that is positive, he gave us. If you're really good at making money or really good at whatever you're really good at, God gave you that ability. You think it's you. You've got to be careful. If you recall um, Nebuchadnezzar, look at this city I've created, and just like that, he's eating grass like a wild ass, living outside with the, dew, the, the rain on his back and so on. Just like that. 
because God gave it all to him. The ability, the power, the prestige, the kingdom. And he thought it was his, and just like that, God can take it away. He gives it. He takes away. Be careful. And this brings us to the, the kind of the conclusion of the chapter. There it's verse 31. Uh, if, if all this is true, if we're just this lowly whatever, and Paul recognized that, Paul was a really connected guy. He had a lot of stuff going on. He was high up in the, in the churchiness. He was high up in the, in the priestiness, in the, in the Pharisees. He was connected. He was, uh, people wanted to see him. He probably had some wealth when he was doing that, running around. He was the number one boy of Gamaliel, who was this, you know, this, this high up uh, uh, preacher kind of guy, to use modern terms. A well-known, well-connected guy that the Jews still quote today. That's how high up Gamaliel was. And, and Paul was connected to this guy. He was in there with that guy, with, with Gamaliel. And, uh, and Paul recognizes this about himself, that when it came down to it, he was lower than, than any other man, as low as anyway. And he said, when he came to this, but of him who are in Christ Jesus, verse 30, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. No longer can I put uh, uh, prestige on myself. The only thing I can glory about is what God has done to me or through me or for me. But as for me, myself, I haven't accomplished anything without the blessing of God on me. Maybe I did work hard. Maybe I did uh, you know, earn a living. Maybe I did you know, buy these nice shoes that are waterproof or whatever. Maybe I did. But only because of God's grace and his giving me of wealth, I could have been, you know, we were talking about this morning, could have been born in Africa uh, with no access to wealth, no access to car, no access to shoes, making bricks. I've seen those poor people that are making bricks from 10 years old to this 50-year-old man still out there bent over making mud bricks out there in the sun every day. By God's grace, that didn't happen to me. I mean, i, I got to get a handle on who I am in Christ. We might actually have something to brag about as we relate to other men. You know, I know Isaac was a really good athlete. He told me one time that, that he was um, trying to see if he was going to play college football or something. He was really good for this, for this area and then for his time, maybe really good overall. And he said he went to a, a tryout where, like, uh, it was all state, right? The big tryout you went to or something? Yeah. Anyway, it was a big game, right? And he's out there, and all of a sudden, these guys are a lot bigger than I think. <laughs> They're a lot, I mean, you can be big stuff in Crossville, Tennessee, but then you go play in the whatever game that was, and he's like, man, them guys hit for real. Those were some big guys. So you may have some prestige among men. You're just not in a big enough crowd of men, right? How much more before God? You have zero. But when he gives you prestige, he gives you everything. He gives you, what did it say there? He gives you wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He gives you all you need. So though you may have prestige with men, you don't have anything compared to the power of God and his ability to save men from their sin. It's like being invited to a rich man's party. You went to some rich guy's house. Um, you don't know him. He doesn't know you, right? The only way you got to come is because some other guy who knew the rich guy brought you, right? And he introduces you, and he tells the rich guy how you could 
help him and the, and the rich guy, how he could help you and whatever, so you make some kind of connection. Um, so now you have access to Mr. Rich Guy that you didn't have access to. How much more with God who has everything, who has control of all those things, over 7 billion people on the earth, and he chose you? I am always so, I mean, it is so good to go on those mission trips and you get in touch with these people. We were talking about this guy this morning. And uh, this guy, he, he had a metal roof. Well, they have wood siding, I guess, on this little house, dirt floor. In, and this was in uh, Mexicali, or no, it was in Oaxaca. Yeah, he did have a chain link fence over part of his thing, keep the chickens out. And then he did have a brand new shiny outhouse. It was a really nice outhouse. And um, he had a mountain of coconuts and a mountain of mangoes. That guy was happy. He'd written in his Bible so much you couldn't hardly read the words. That guy had joy. That guy, we had the best time with that guy. Seven billion people on earth, and God chose that guy, Eleazar. And he chose Jed, he chose Dale. He chose us to go be with that guy on that day and just to talk to him about the word. And we, and we all left feeling like we're never going to see this guy again. He left the same way, but we had such a joyful time together because we were chosen. Now he once who was afar off has drawn near. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He's drawn near. After salvation, now you have personal access to the Father. And no amount of beauty or worth or ability or skill or, or any other thing would have given you that access unless you were introduced to him by Christ. Man, Jonathan Edwards says, man, natural enemies of God. Only through Christ, through his friendship to man, do we have access to the Father. He sought you out, the most basic, noble, foolish. He went looking for you, and he came and he got you. And this is what Paul came to understand. And that's why his ministry was so effective and so his, his evangelism was so powerful and his disciple-making was so powerful. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Speaking of the division thing, you're worried about who baptized you? I'm telling you, the only thing you know, you need to know the one that can introduce you to the father that's who you need to know being connected to paul is not going to help you being connected to christ is what you need being connected to dale or jed or any other person is not going to help you being connected to christ yes we're supposed to disciple people yes we're supposed to minister to other people we're supposed to evangelize people but our point is not to make them disciples of me but to make them disciples of christ they're going to they're gonna do things that I do, likely, if I'm the one who disciples them. But the goal is to point them to Christ, point them to Christ, point them to Christ, where they're following him. And when, when Paul got a handle on who he was, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God chose the foolish to put to shame the wise. When, when Paul got a handle on that, then he could be used. Before, when he was a Pharisee, he was very prideful. He was the, I mean, he was the man. He rode around and he had the power of life and death in his, in his mouth. He could just say, this guy's a Christian, kill this guy, and they would. And now he's been humbled. It sounds crazy, but it's, it's entirely scriptural that you're basically a corpse that's been animated by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I got this drill here. I was going to show you something. Because I was thinking about this the other day. Because something happened to me at work and, and I was doing this. So we got our drill here. It probably won't work. Yeah, it will. I got hope. So, so without this... Without this energizer, this battery right here, we're going to call this the Holy Spirit. Without this Holy Spirit in this drill, 
it's completely worthless. And then we put the power to it. We put the power of the Spirit to it. But it still has an issue. It has the one that controls this little button right here. It needs to be the Spirit controlling this trigger and not ourselves. So I had a whole bunch of these drills. I had two or three of them in my bag. And I went to pick the bag up, and I don't know what the deal was. When I picked it up, I had a paddle bit on there. When I picked it up, something pushed the trigger. That thing went to eating. Man, it had stuff wound up in that bag and drilling holes and jazz. It was a mess in a hurry. And that's exactly how it is. We try to override the power of the Spirit with our own self, and we don't do anything but destroy. We do it in the fellowship. We do it in the world. We do it in our homes. But when the, when the Spirit's got control over the trigger, when he's got control over the, the tongue, when he's got control over the mind, when he's got control over the body, that I only do what the Spirit tells me to do, then the drill is super effective. It puts the screw where the screw goes. It does the work that it's supposed to do. Without the hand of the Spirit steering the drill, energizing the drill, pulling the trigger, the drill's good for nothing but damage. It's just going to tear stuff up. We need to be extremely careful with that. So without the Spirit's grasp on us, we end up trying to operate in the flesh, and we, and we fail miserably. The reason Paul was so effective was he was always being led by the Spirit. When you see Paul lose his temper with Peter, uh, with who, Mark? He's like, man, I'm done with this guy. You got to wonder, was there, a, was there a failure? Was there a, a, a missing part there? Was he operating in the spirit? I mean, he was still a man. When we, when we get outside of the spirit, we start trying to operate. Uh, we'll get ourselves in trouble. The Lord wants us to recognize our humility because that's it. That's all we are. Is, remember the glove? Remember uh, Herb and the glove? I mean, if this, this, is, this is you. I mean, this drill is completely worthless without the Spirit's hand on it. Without the Spirit picking it up and putting a screw in the wall to hold the thing on there, it's worthless. He had this glove, and he would put his, he would just, it was this wimpy-looking, pitiful-looking glove. There's a microphone, and he's like, floop, and he throws it over the microphone. He's just hanging there. He's like, isn't that pitiful? I mean, look at that thing. He's like laughing at this glove. It's the same thing. Without the Spirit's hand in there doing the work, it's worthless. There's no point in it. I've got to go back to this. It was kind of laughing last week, Jed. Sosthenes was wearing Jed out. Sosthenes. Sosthenes, our brother. 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. So I've got to go find who Sosthenes is. Sosthenes was a guy that was way high up in the synagogue. And if you want to look the story up, it's in Acts 18.12 through 17. And you'll find this guy mentioned. And so they brought Paul before these elders, and they wanted to stone him and kill him. Well, the Greek leadership was like, we're, we're, that's not what we're doing. And so what they did was they grabbed Sosthenes, and they beat him up instead for bringing this case before him. They didn't want to hear. So Sosthenes, who was this guy who was real connected in the synagogue, he was the leader of the synagogue, it says, gets beat up for trying to beat Paul up by other non-Christians. And what it does is it breaks Sosthenes. And it makes him a follower of Christ. He was noble. But now he had been debased. He had been debased in front of the Jewish people. He had been shamed. And they took him out back and they whipped him. 
And he was like, forget this, Jazz. And he starts following Christ. So now Sosthenes, who once was something, reckons himself as nothing and is able to accept Christ and become everything because he's filled with the Spirit, because he has the inheritance equal to everything that Christ has, because that's what God says we get as, as sons of God and joint heirs with Christ. Somehow, getting beat down led him to Christ. So you never know who God will use and from what position, but oftentimes it takes a humbling of a man to recognize his need for Christ. God doesn't use... God, somehow people get saved through arrogant men preaching the gospel. I will say that. I've seen that. But I'm telling you, ultimately, as we stand before God to be judged, those, men's, those men of arrogance will be ashamed as they stand before God. They may get in, they may not. But what I'm telling you is the humble man is the man that God uses. The one who reckons himself weak, foolish, ignoble, so on. That man God will use. Sosthenes had to be debased in order to be recognized, in order to recognize his need for Christ. And he'll better use you when you come to the conclusion that you are of the low and the base and the ignoble and so on. When you come to that conclusion, you will better be able to work with your brother and sister in Christ inside the fellowship. You'll, you'll be less ashamed to go out there and spread the gospel to anyone who would be in need. You won't be worried about those that when you're talking to them about the gospel that they start either mocking you or just kind of ignoring you or whatever. They won't bother you because you'll be like Paul where your whole mission will be to glorify Christ. I came to preach the gospel of Christ for I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When you get to that point, um, then you can be used. I want to sing this song. Let's stand together if we could get that. that uh, where's our uh, computer person? We're going to sing this song. Come up here, Jade. Rock of Ages, Cliff for me. This guy... Augustus Montague Top Lady. If you think you got stuck with a bad handle as a kid, at least you weren't that guy. Augustus Montague, he was walking in, in um, England, got in this real bad storm, and he ran for cover under some big rocks, and he got under that, and while he was under those rocks, he wrote, that, he wrote this song. And 1762, I believe, was the age, was the date. <laughs> 